Um, glory to God. The name of the message is a, a beautiful life. You could call it a wonderful life, like the movie, if you like, or a picture-perfect life, um, if you like. And uh, we'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, giving us your life. Lord, thank you that you're with us, teaching us the rhythms of your life, um, how your life works, what it looks like, how it responds inside of us and, and in this world. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, you're just opening up our eyes to uh, what it means that we have your life, that you've gifted us your life. Thank you, Father, that you're opening up our eyes to what it means that you're dwelling in us, that your life is dwelling in us, and the certainty that we do see you, that we sh uh, uh, shall see you, and that we shall know you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. So many times we think of seeing God and you shall see God. Right? We only think of it in the sense of I see you, there you are. Right? And there's some sense to that. But when it talks about and the righteous shall see God, what it's talking about is the righteous shall see God manifest in their physical bodies. And in seeing him, the fullness of the Godhead manifest in their flesh, they'll see God. You see what I'm saying? I mean, John would say it this way. That, beloved, now are we the, the sons and daughters of God, but it's not yet seen what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we shall see ourselves as he is, right? We'll be the same that he is. And that's how you see God. You see God in yourself, right? And through faith dwelling in our hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see God in ourselves now, right? We can see ourselves wrapped in light and life now. Now are we the children of light. Even though it's not yet seen what we shall be, even though we don't yet see that light emanating out of these physical bodies where these bodies are glowing like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see that light in us now. Right. Hallelujah. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight, Paul says. Um, but Matt, uh, Matt brought up some verses a few Bible studies back um, I think two Wednesdays ago. If you hadn't listened to it two Wednesdays ago, go and listen to it. Um, it, was, it was really good. But Matt brought up these verses, and I couldn't get them out of my head, and I just keep twisting on them. I keep twisting on them, so I thought we'll do some deep-diving Bible study and look at these verses and um, just kind of bring out what it's talking about. Sometimes you can read the King James, and it's like, what is that talking about, and what does that have to do with me? What is the relevance here, Lord? And so we'll, we'll look at these verses and hopefully we'll, we'll see what the relevance is. But um, Galatians is where we're going we're gonna to do our uh, study from. And we'll pick it up with uh, verse 11 of chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Um, and we'll read through verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the churches at Galatia. The churches at Galatia. I say churches because it's not just like there was one building and there was a church there. There was like a body of believers in a region, and it was the region of Galatia. And so there were several pockets of believers. And so when he wrote this letter, this letter would have been dispersed amongst several groups of people. And he would have been speaking to this group of people about a specific thing. Okay, um, I'm going to trip over that light. But verse 11, this is Paul talking. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. I remember when we were young, we used to think, man, Paul wrote with big letters because he had an eye problem, right? He had some eye disease, and nobody could know what the eye disease was. And so he wrote these gigantic letters, and that's what he was trying to say. And that's what he meant when he said, you didn't despise my appearance when he came. The two verses are not related. When Paul talked about they didn't despise him because of what they saw in his face or his eyes, he was talking about, I just got stoned to death. And right after I got stoned to death and left for dead, I came into your town looking like Rocky Balboa, and y'all didn't despise me, knowing that I had been stoned for being a false prophet. You didn't reject me, even though I had the scarlet letter of black eyes and looking like I had just been labeled a blasphemer. But you received me into your house like you would receive a prophet, right? And so when he says, you see how large a letter I've written with my own hand, that's an unrelated thing to his eyes. And what he's trying to get at is this letter is very important because they didn't write the letters themselves. In fact, this is the only letter Paul wrote himself. They would have a scribe, you know, like dictation. You know, like you could have a secretary or administrative assistant. You know, the people that have lots of money in our world, right, they have administrative assistants or they have a secretary. They don't pin their own letters. They walk back and forth like those that were in the school of Plato. And they just speak 
and somebody writes for me. Right. So when Paul says, you see how large a letter I wrote with my own hand, what he's saying is, I thought this matter was so critical to you experiencing the life of God. I thought this letter was so critical to Christ being made full effect in your life right now while you walk in this earth that I wrote that thing with my own hand. And you see how long it is. It wasn't like a paragraph. He's trying to explain to them this is serious. It is not serious in the sense of. God being happy with you or not being happy with you. Listen, Paul took it very serious for people to be delivered from the life that's in the world and for them to experience the fruit of the Spirit. He took it serious. If the kingdom has come now, right, let us now experience the kingdom that has come right now inside of our hearts, even while we wait for the kingdom to physically manifest in this earth, right? Let us experience the fruit of the Spirit now as we live in this earth. And something had happened to the church at Galatia where a doctrine had come in that would be a gigantic stumbling block to these people experiencing the life of God now. A gigantic stumbling block to these people being filled with the fruit of the Spirit now. And so Paul was talking very seriously about that. That's why he, he starts that way. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. He's saying these guys that came to you teaching you this doctrine, they desire to make a fair show in the flesh, right? They're glorying in the strength that can be seen in people's flesh. Their boast is the strength that can be seen in people's flesh. That's why they're constraining you or trying to compel you to be circumcised in your flesh. He says, and the only reason why they're doing that is they don't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They don't care about your life. They didn't come teaching you this doctrine because they want you to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. They didn't come teaching you this doctrine because they're lovers of your lives and your lives are more valuable to, to them than their own life is. That's not why they came teaching you this. They came teaching you this because they valued themselves over you. And they wanted to make a fair show. And the way they wanted to do it was they wanted to say, look how good we are. We got these guys to be circumcised in the strength of their flesh. Don't be confused. They're not after what's good for you. They're after what's good for themselves. Right? We, I mean, we could, we, we've seen a lot of that in, in a different way in modern Christianity where our, um, our evangelism has been born from that same kind of a spirit. Right? Where we're, we're not really loving the people's lives. We're not really arrested by the love of God for all people but we're out there doing it, trying to make a fair show to God in our flesh, right? Whereby we think God's commanded us to go and evangelize, like he's given us an order. So then the reason why we're evangelizing is so we can take our evangelism in a nice pretty package and take it to God and say, see, Daddy, I did good. You're not evangelizing now because you love those people's lives. You're trying to make a fair show in your flesh by your works to God. Well, people can tell when you do that. People can tell when the reason why you're telling them about the gospel is for your own good and not theirs. They can tell when you're trying to make merchandise of them. And they can tell when the reason why you're saying what you're saying is because you love their life more than your own. They can tell when someone's arrested by the love of God. And that's what Paul's saying. These guys that taught you this doctrine, they're not arrested by the love of God. They're, they're, their hearts aren't oozing with love for your life. That's not why they've done it, right? He says, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they might glory in your flesh, that they might go back and testify of their goodness. Look what they did, right? Um, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified in, unto me and I unto the world. Man, that is a powerful, powerful statement right there. For in Christ Jesus... This is the part we're going to really focus in on. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. That's an interesting thing he says there, upon the Israel of God. Why would you have to say upon the Israel of God? Well, you, you could say some things about that, but all, Paul would say all Israel is not Israel. And Israel is not Israel after the flesh. And so the idea behind these Judaizers were that you would become the people of God or you would be the blessed of God by the circumcision of the, the flesh, 
right? And Paul comes and says, that's not the Israel of God. That's why later, like Maurice pointed out so beautifully one day, Paul makes a point to call them the concision instead of the circumcision. Because circumcision is technically about circumcision of the heart. That's the Israel of God. Those who have had their hearts circumcised from trying to find life for themselves or gather life to themselves through the world and the strength that's in the world. That's really the Israel of God. The Israel of God are those who call upon the name of the Lord. It's those who look at the strength of their own hand, and when they look at what their hand can gather to themselves, they look at what they can gather, and they say, what I can gather to myself, the things I can gain from the world, the strength that I see in my own flesh, the strength I see in the life that's in this world, it actually is of no force to fill me with the fruit of the Spirit or to give me God's life. That's the Israel of God. And because you come to that conclusion, what ends up happening is you say, into your hands. I commit my desire for life, right? And upon those people, they experience, they have an experiential knowing or knowledge of the mercy and the peace of God, right? From henceforth, Paul says, let no man trouble me. (laughs) Poor Paul, huh? I say poor Paul, but I, I mean that, you know, in just a ironical kind of a way. Um, When he says, for henceforth, let no man trouble me, if you go back to chapter 5, the Judaizers were telling the Galatians that that Paul was teaching circumcision again. That Paul also believed you had to be justified. And the way you would be justified, which means to have a beautiful life or the blessed life, which is what Israel was always after, the blessing of life, The blessing of Abraham was the blessing of life. It was to possess a blessed life. And so the Judaizers came and said the power to have the blessed life is found in the strength of the flesh or the circumcision of the flesh. And they came and said, I'm imagining the Galatians probably would say, but Paul just came and said that that justification is not found in the strength of the flesh. And he put Jesus Christ crucified clearly on display in our midst, showing us that there was no strength in that guy's flesh. There was only weakness, and yet that guy inherited the blessed life simply by calling upon the name of the Lord. Paul just came here and told us that. And so they, well, no, 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 Paul's teaching circumcision again. He had Timothy circumcised. And so when Paul says, let no man trouble me anymore, I don't want to hear that nonsense ever again. For I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying there is, I don't glory in the strength of the flesh. That's why he just said, I I, I glory in nothing save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't let anybody try to convince you that I'm teaching that we can be justified through the strength of the flesh because there's one thing that can justify us with life, and that's the faith that was revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. That's the only thing. So don't let ever anybody come and say that about me again. Right? From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying I count the strength in my own hand and my ability to gather life to myself, I count it as dung, right? I've laid it down. I've hated the life I could gain from the world. I've hated the life I could build for myself. I've hated it. And in that place of hating the life I could gain from the world, I found that I've actually gained the beautiful life I was really after. And so when the scriptures talk about hating your life in the, in the world or hating your life, he who hates his life will, will gain it and he who loves his life will lose his life. It's not talking about you can't enjoy life in the world. It's not talking about that you can't enjoy the things of the world. All things were given for us to enjoy. What it's talking about is you look at the strength in the world. You look at the life that the world has to offer you. You see the strength that is in that life, and you count that strength as being worthless to being able to serve you with life. And you lay it down. And that's what Paul means when he says he bears about in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Remember, he just said in Galatians 2, I was crucified with Christ. It's the same thing as I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Did Jesus do anything to try to be justified with life? His hands were nailed to a tree. He didn't look to the strength that was in his flesh. He didn't look at what he could gain from the world as if that was the power, that was the juice that could fill him with life. He didn't look to that. His hands were nailed to a cross. He looked to one place, 
He looked to the Father of lights, and he looked to the strength in the Father's hand to be able to create him anew or to raise him up anew, free from death and clothed in the immortality of the Father. That's what he looked to. And so Paul says, I bear about in my body the same marks, that I'm not busy thinking I can be justified through the strength of the flesh or the life I can gain from the world, but I'm busy looking to the faith that was in Jesus' heart when he called upon the name of the Father and committed his desire for life into the Father's hands. That's what I'm walking in. That's what I came teaching you. That's why I put Christ crucified on display in your midst clearly. Right? Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Listen, there's a depth to what Paul's saying here that goes way beyond Jews and Gentiles. and Way beyond physical circumcision and the carnal ordinances in the law of Moses. There's a depth to what he's talking about here. There's an eternal truth Paul's looking at and talking about to these Galatians. And what he's doing is he's looking at that eternal truth and he's using that eternal truth to discern the dispute about circumcision and to discern the dispute between Jews and Gentiles of that day about whether or not we could be justified by performing the works of the law or whether or not we could be justified by the strength of the flesh. And if we only look at these verses from the perspective of Jews and Gentiles in the law of Moses, we're actually going to fall short of what they're trying to say. We're going to miss it, actually. And what I really would even want to say is Paul's words here. Paul, if, you know, like in Star Trek, you could beam around, you know, and like back to the future, there was a time machine. If Paul could go back to the, the time of Cain and Abel, these words would preach to Cain and Abel. And there was no such thing as Jew or Gentile. And there was no such thing as the law of Moses. And this same truth Paul's getting at there would, would be full of power to discern the Cain and Abel situation. And it would be full of power to talk about what happened there. So I encourage everybody. It's fine if you want to look at the, the history of Jews and Gentiles and you want to use that to try to understand some of this. But if you don't get past that and realize there's a depth here that goes beyond that, you're going to really fall short of what this is trying to say. And your mind's going to become focused on the works of the law or not the works of the law. Physical circumcision or not physical circumcision. Well, Paul just said circumcision and uncircumcision availeth not. And so what ends up happening is if that's the depth of what you see there, you end up thinking the good and the right way is to be uncircumcised. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? And that's not what he's getting at. That would still be the same thing that he says is a stumbling block. And so there's something else going on. Paul says in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything. It's got nothing for you. There's no juice. There's no juice there. He says the only thing that avails... The only thing that has any juice is a new creature, right? Now, when Paul talks about availing or availeth, like the King James would say, or avails, when he talks about something that is availing or something that avails, what he's talking about, that word avail, means to be full of power or to be full of force or to be full of strength. And so when Paul talks about circumcision and uncircumcision, availing not, and when he's talking about what does actually avail, he's talking about something having the strength or the force to justify you with life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about something. He's explaining where the power to be justified with life and where the power to experience the fruit of the Spirit comes from. He's talking about what actually has the juice to keep your heart from the accusation that's in the world and to persuade your heart that you have a beautiful life. Because you know the fruit of the Spirit comes forth when you think you have a beautiful life. I mean, you don't feel happy when you think your life is corrupted, do you? Why not? Who told you that you have to feel sad when your life looks bad? No one had to tell you. There was no class. I don't remember in kindergarten people teaching me that there's, you should be tormented now when things don't look right. No, I mean, I just felt the torment. It just came, right? Like, there was no class about it. It just came. And so Paul's talking about that which can serve you with a beautiful life and that which can persuade your heart that you have a beautiful life. And through it having the strength or the force to do that to you, it produces the fruit of the Spirit in you. 
Because the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that comes forth in a person when they've been persuaded that they have the beautiful life that they know they should have. And so that's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about what avails and what doesn't avail. Because I promise you, if you're looking to something for a beautiful life, if you're looking for something to persuade you that your life is beautiful, if you're looking to something to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit that doesn't have the strength or the force to do that, you're not going to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And do you know what you're going to be filled with? He talks about what you'll be filled with. Gossiping, envying, backbiting, murder, hatred. And do you know why you'll be filled with those things? Because you'll be looking to something that doesn't have life in it. And if you're looking to something that doesn't have life in it, guess what it has in it? Death. And if the thing you're looking to, to have the fruit of life, is actually death, that death is going to father the fruit of death in you. Right? And listen, man, I could just go on and speak nicely and juice everybody up, but I promise you, one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ, one of the biggest reasons why we get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine is because we still don't understand how the gospel works. We still don't understand how life comes forth in a person. We still don't understand what produces the works of the flesh in a person. So we're just running around like chickens with our head cut off, right? And with every doctrine that sounds nice, we run with it, never understanding the dynamics of the gospel. But Paul prayed that we would understand. I promise you, man, when God's understanding dwells in you, you discern real easily what has life and what doesn't. And do you know what happens when you can discern what has life and what doesn't have life? You stop going to the things that don't have life. It's a magnificent thing that happens in you by the power of God. Amen. You know why God's never going after the thing that has death in it? Because he knows that it has death and not life. Do you know why Jesus didn't go after the life that was in the world? It wasn't because he was a strong guy who used his willpower. It's that he looked at the life in the world and he discerned that that life doesn't matter how much it promises me the fruit of the Spirit. That life is not the beautiful life. And that life that's in the world doesn't have the force to persuade me I have a beautiful life. It can never fill me with the fruit of the Spirit. It can only fill me with the fruit of death. That's why he never went after it. He understood these things. It helped him discern the voice of the stranger and the voice of the father. It helped him to see the good shepherd. It helped him to discern the wolf. Right? Does that make sense? So, man, sometimes I don't feel bad for me because I know. But sometimes I feel bad for people. They're like, oh, man, we're going to get into some heavy teaching again? Yes. Yes, we're going to get in. I'm not trying to make your flesh feel happy. Listen, if you get set free and you shed some tears, glory to God. But I ain't trying to get some tears from you. I ain't after you having a nice strong emotion to where you walk away thinking that I'm a great preacher. I'm so sorry. But you thinking I'm a great preacher availeth not for you or for me. What I'm after, like Paul said, I labor till the faith of the Lord Jesus be formed in your heart. Right? I travail in birth pangs again, desiring for the faith of the Lord Jesus to be formed in you. That's all I care about. That's it. That's it. So Paul's, when he says circumcision and uncircumcision availeth not, he's talking about where the power to be justified with life comes from. Okay? That's what he's talking about. And I think the meaning of justified has kind of gotten lost in our legal explanations right calvin came in and decided he wanted to find everything by his uh the law system that's in the world and i just mean like the legal system listen the legal system that's in the world a system of retribution a system of justice by retribution that's not the system in heaven that's not the system of our lord jesus and so what we come and did is define these things by legal terms and legal parameters that are in the world and you can use some things to describe it but you want to describe it from heavenly language, not earthly language. So I think when we think of justified, we tend to think of ourselves being declared innocent to God, right? As if God was now holding something against us, and if we can be justified, what it means is God no longer has a case against us. He's no longer judging us negatively. But that never has anything to do with it. And so when we think of ju being justified, this is, this is what it's about. There's what God does to justify us, and the way he justifies us is he gives us his life as a gift. He gifts it to us. That's the work he does to justify us. There's the effect that that has in our hearts. 
when he does that, right? And so we, we all know on a subconscious level, inherent level, and this, this touches back to what I was saying about nobody had to tell me I should be upset when my life looked like it was being corrupted. I was just naturally upset. Why? Why did that bother me? Why wasn't I indifferent to that? Why wasn't it just like, well, who cares? You know, I, when I was in Switzerland, I sat with a bunch of precious young people that I thought were very respectful, and they didn't, they didn't believe in God. But they wanted to sit with me and ask questions. And I, I mean, that was one of my favorite times ever out preaching the gospel, sitting with them, who none of them even believed. And one of the things I asked them, because they all had a big problem with death. They had a big problem with the animals dying and all these things. And so I asked them why death bothers them. Where did it come from? Who told you you shouldn't like death? Why is that even in you? Why aren't you just like, meh? Why would you cry if your mom died? Why would you be hurt if your friend died? Where did that come from? Did someone teach you that? No. Why is it there? How did it get there? Why is it in everyone? Right? So we have, even on a subconscious level, we have an inherent knowing that we were created to have a beautiful life. We have an inherent knowledge that we were created and that we should have a beautiful life. And if when we look at ourselves and what we see in the flesh, in our flesh, or we look at the life we have in the world, or we look at the world around us, if we think it's a beautiful life, if we think that it's a life that's filled with all loveliness and goodness, because we have an inherent knowing that we were supposed to have a life that's filled with all loveliness and goodness. And if we think we have that beautiful life, we feel like all is right. All is good. All is just. Everything is as it ought to be. I'm as I ought to be because I have this beautiful life I'm supposed to have. And then out of that place comes forth the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Peace and love and joy and all those things. Because I have the life, the beautiful life I was supposed to have, that I should have. And you're right, you are supposed to have a beautiful life. But I think the problem is what's happened is the world come in and tried to define what a beautiful life is by perishable things. And it's created a picture for us of the life we should have. All of us have grown up with a picture of the life we say we should have had. And why do we even have the picture of the life we say we should have? Because we're so enamored with that picture as the power or that which can avail to filling us with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why we hold on so tight. There's a confidence that a person walks in when they believe they have the beautiful life they're supposed to have. There's a swagger. It's like the Fonzie swag, right? Oh, the jukebox don't work? Watch this. The music comes on. <laughs> oh, you got no gas in the car? <laughs> that, that, there's a, when someone is really persuaded that they have the beautiful life they're supposed to have, they stand upright. There's a confidence. There's a strength that comes alive inside of us when we think we have the beautiful life we're supposed to have, right? And we walk around standing upright, standing tall, right? But if, if we don't think we have the beautiful life we're supposed to have, if we don't think that the life we have or what we see in our flesh, if we don't think it's filled with all loveliness and goodness, if we think there's something crooked about it or something off with it, we're going to be ashamed. We're going to be filled with fear. And then what's going to happen is an accusation is going to pop up in our heart. And the accusation is you don't have the beautiful life you're supposed to have. Look. And it points to something. And then we start thinking. We look at our flesh. That's right. This don't look nice. This don't look good. <laughs> I mean, one of the meanings of justification is to be declared innocent. And the innocence that is talking about being declared is something God works in your heart where he keeps your heart from the accusation. The accusation is that you don't have the beautiful life you're supposed to have. 
And God done something to keep your heart from that accusation. He done something to fill you with strength in the inner man. He done something to fill you with the confidence in the inner man that you can walk in this world upright with like the Fonzie swag. We'll call it the Jesus swag. And the thing that he did to issue a decree, the decree of innocence echoes in your heart. And what it does is it shuts the mouth of the accusation. It's God coming as your defender, the defender of your heart, and it's him coming and shutting the mouth of the accusation that's telling you you don't have the beautiful life you're supposed to have. And the way he shuts it is he gives you the beautiful life as a gift. And the beautiful life he gives you is the life he has in himself that manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no accusation that can ever stand against the life of God and declare to the life of God that it's not as it ought to be. And so I may see something in my flesh. I may see something in the world around me. And the voice of accusation might try to come knocking on my door. Right? But immediately I see that God has created me anew, free from this world. He's liberated my life from being held by the world. The world is not the father of my life. He has delivered me. He has delivered my life from being of the dust of the ground. And he has made my life anew, free from death, after the likeness of his immortality. And all of a sudden, innocence wells up inside of me. And I walk with the decree, you're innocent. We don't, I mean, in the body of Christ, we don't even understand what the accusation is. We just rejoice that we overcome the accusation. All the while, none of us have been overcoming the accusation. And I don't mean you and me here, man. We've been walking in this for a while. I mean in the body of Christ. We say we're innocent. We say we overcome the accusation. All the while, we don't even know what those things are. But we're happy about it. I will give us that. We're a people full of zeal, aren't we? <laughs> we will come together, and we know we're supposed to sing like this. We'll make a fair show in the flesh. We'll come together, and we'll pretend like all is well. After all, a beautiful life looks like all is well. And so I need to be sure that I have that beautiful life. See, but when you realize the beautiful life is the life of God, and you realize he's gifted you that life, and that life is inside of you, that you're in it and it's in you. You can even feel like things are not going well and still believe your life is beautiful. <laughs> and that will put you to rest. You know what a beautiful life is? It's you and the Father and the Father in you. Jesus prayed that we would know. That just as he was in the Father and the Father was in him, that we were in him and he was in us, and therefore we were in the Father and the Father was in, was in us. I, I, Jesus said, I don't pray that you take them from the world, but I pray that they see that you've loved them the same way you love me. That's what he's talking about. So that as they walk in this world, even when things in the world go awry, even when our brother Paul gets locked up in prison and gets 40 stripes twice and is hanging there in feces and garbage and just rat-infested nonsense, stuff where the black plague would come forth, that our brother Paul could find something welling up in his heart telling him, you have a beautiful life. And that would put him to rest. It would silence the accusation. Because I promise you, you will hear some accusations when you're strung up in a prison like that. You will hear the voice telling you that you don't have a beautiful life. But God justified Paul, you see. That's why Paul's like, don't let anybody trouble me ever again. Don't let any fool come and say that I'm looking at the strength of the flesh. I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Where because I see the beautiful life is that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. I don't do one thing to try to give myself life, even should they come and nail me to a tree. That tree cannot accuse me because that tree can never be a word of accusation against the Father, and the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. That's a beautiful life, right? A life with no accusation. You guys following that? Thank you, Jesus. So Paul says something real interesting, because you can read circumcision and uncircumcision availeth not. What? But he says something, he's saying something real interesting. He says, neither being circumcised or not being circumcised is of any force to give you the beautiful life you were created for. 
neither getting circumcised or not getting circumcised can keep your heart from the accusation that's in the world from death. Neither of those things can do it. Now, what is Paul talking about when he uses circumcision and uncircumcision? Because if you don't understand what he's pointing to, that's how it manifested in that dynamic. But it isn't just about circumcision and uncircumcision of the flesh. And so if you don't understand what he's pointing to, you can miss the power of what he's talking about. So you might ask God, and I'm going to tell you today a bunch of different ways, but you might go away asking God, what is that talking about? So that I can see and understand and I can walk in this truth. But when Paul talks about circumcision or uncircumcision, he's talking about what the scriptures call the strength of the flesh or the strength that can be seen in the flesh of a person. Right? That's what he's talking about. So when he says uh, circumcision and uncircumcision is of no force to serve you with the beautiful life, what he's saying is the strength that is seen in your flesh or the strength that is seen in the world or in the life you have from the world, that is of no force to serve you with a beautiful life or to produce inside of you the fruit of the Spirit. It isn't just about circumcision and uncircumcision. He's talking about trying to derive the strength to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit by looking at what you see here and looking at what you see there and being persuaded by what you see that you have a beautiful life. Because circumcision would be something you see. And uncircumcision would be something you see. And so that's what he's talking about. Looking at yourself and looking at what you have in the world or the life you have in the world to try to suck the strength out of it to be persuaded you have a blessed life. If I'm being honest, most of the body of Christ is firmly planted there. Where they're busy looking at what they have or don't have in the world or the good they see in their flesh or don't see in their flesh to, to try to look for the strength to be persuaded they have a beautiful life or to look for the strength to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's why the moment things go wrong, all of a sudden they're dwelling in confusion. What's going on? Well, you're not dwelling in confusion if you know you've been justified with a beautiful life and you have a beautiful life. You're not dwelling there. So that's what, it, what circumcision, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about looking to what you see in your flesh and in your life and whether what you see there is right or not to try and be persuaded that you have a beautiful life. Right? So for the Judaizers, they thought a beautiful life, the strength to have a beautiful life was found to be circumcised, And so they came preaching that. Well, Paul makes a real quick point. Well, don't think that uncircumcision is the power now because that would still be looking to what you see in your flesh. That would still be looking to the strength of the flesh, right? It's like with Lazarus and the rich man. It's a great example of what the strength of the flesh is and what Paul's talking about with circumcision and uncircumcision availeth not. You see the, the rich man. Does everybody know what I'm talking about with the account of Lazarus and the rich man? You see the rich man. Um, he had the riches of the world, didn't he? I mean, the riches of the rich man would be what the strength of the flesh is, right? He looked at his life. He saw the riches, right? And that, those riches would be the strength of the flesh. But you can also look at Lazarus, who had nothing and was poverty-stricken. Well, that poverty-stricken and nothingness that you saw, that would still be the strength of the flesh. Well, the world would call it weakness because they would look at his flesh and say that there's no strength there. But that poverty-strickenness would still be the strength that was inside of his flesh, right? And so you could say the same thing with there. Neither the riches of the world nor being poverty-stricken availeth anything towards the end of having the life of God. Neither one of those things can do anything to serve you with the beautiful life. Because a lot of people can, you, you see this in, in like monks, right? In monasteries, they take a vow of what? Poverty. That's the strength of the flesh. And so what they say is the riches of the world can't give you anything. So then they think being poor is what will give you something. That's still the carnal mind. That's looking to the strength that you can see in your flesh. It's just these monks think the strength to be justified with life is found in being poverty stricken. That's still looking to the strength you see in your life. You're saying strongness or the power of God is found in you being poverty stricken. 
We're still talking uncircumcision and circumcision. You could put in there riches and poverty. And it's the same thing Paul's talking about. If I look at myself, we talked about this in the Bible study, but, I mean, I'm an intense dude. Like, I struggle to talk calmly. Even when I try, I try and slow myself down. And I try and talk softly. And I try and, you know, be calculated. It does not work for me. Right? So there's an intensity. I've always had an intensity. You know what? That intensity is something that can be seen in my flesh. That intensity would be the strength that is in my flesh. Right? Well, just like Paul said, neither circumcision or uncircumcision, neither being intense or not being intense has the power to serve me with a beautiful life. Neither being intense or not being intense has the power to persuade me that I have a beautiful life. Neither being intense or not being intense has the power to produce the fruit of the Spirit in me. Neither of those things has the power to keep my heart from the accusation that's in the world. I know I tried. In the beginning of the ministry, I always felt accused because here I was once again. I mean, I've been told my whole life I'm too intense. I'm too much for people. And that always sprung forth in accusation. It was an accusation that I don't have a beautiful life because a beautiful life consists of not being intense where people don't think you're too much for everyone. And that's what a beautiful life is. And there would always be an accusation telling me you don't have the kind of life you were created to have because look at this intensity that's in you. And so in the beginning of the ministry, what I tried to do was I tried to prove the intensity was good. And I, what I was trying to do there is I was trying to make my intensity avail. I was looking to the fact that I was intense, trying to suck the juice out of it that could give me the fruit of the Spirit and persuade me that I had a beautiful life. I was still trusting in the strength of the flesh. And you know what? It was obvious because no matter how many times I tried to convince myself my intensity was good, I never walked away thinking that I had a beautiful life. It never set me free from the torment. It never produced the fruit of the Spirit in me. It never got me to the place where someone came and said to me, you're too much, man, I can't listen to you. And I thought, glory to God. It never could set me free. It was never able to justify my heart from the accusation. Every time someone would tell me I was too intense, I would immediately feel like I don't have the life I'm supposed to have. I didn't feel innocent. Right? I was still looking to the strength of my flesh, the strength that I could see in my flesh to be justified. Except I sat with the knowledge of good and evil. And the knowledge of good and evil that I sat with was that it's evil to be intense. It's good and it's full of life to not be intense. So if Greg, if you could look at yourself and look at your life and not see any intensity there, if you can calm down, if you can shut up, then that can avail. That can be the strength that you need to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That can be the strength or the juice or the thing that can give you the juice to believe you have a beautiful life. Neither one can avail. I'm trying to use as many examples because we get stuck on circumcision and uncircumcision. And we completely miss what Paul's pointing at. When he talks about the strength of the flesh. Does that make some sense? I mean, I was innocently intense. I didn't know there was anything wrong with it. And there isn't. That's judging after the flesh. When we think someone's good or right because they're not intense, or when we think someone's good or right because they are intense, that's what judging after the flesh is. We do it all the time. You know, there's a whole lot of people that when I sat down in the chair and started calming down a little bit, they complained because I wasn't intense and the power is found in being intense. It's judging after the flesh. There's a whole lot of people that despise themselves for the way they talk because they don't think they're intense. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what Paul's getting at. We've all developed a picture of what a beautiful life looks like. All of us have. And the world has come to father that view for us to where we judge whether or not we have a beautiful life by the world's logic of what a beautiful life is. Well, the world's logic of what a beautiful life is is ever changing. And it's always pointing to the strength in the flesh. The strength of the flesh can never produce a beautiful life 
The things in the world can never produce a beautiful life. It can never produce the kind of life that will persuade you that you have the life you were created to have. So it can never silence the accusation. And so we all have a picture of what we want our life to be and what we want our life to look like. We, we all have a picture of the kind of life we think has the strength to put us to rest. We all have a picture of the kind of life we think can fill us with the fruit of the Spirit, a just life, the life we know we're supposed to have. We all got that picture. The problem is, is like I just said, many times the picture we developed as we were growing up was built upon perishable things. The picture that was painted for us of the beautiful life had in it all the corruptible things in the world, which never had the power to justify us with life or fill us with confidence and strength in the inner man. It left us all the time hearing accusations every moment of our lives, always weighing our life in the balance to see if we had a beautiful life or not. It never settled it, right? You know the reason why we hold so tightly to the picture we had for our life? Because we think that picture is what avails. And by avail, remember what Paul meant by avail. It's this picture that has the strength to fill me with the fruit of the Spirit. It's this picture that has the power to persuade me I have a beautiful life. It's this picture that can serve me with the life I should have. And so we hold on to it so tight and we never realize why we're doing. We never realize what we're doing and why we're trying to hold on to it. Because we think that picture is the force to fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I, I want to keep trying to use examples of myself, although I'm running out of time here. When I, think, when I think of myself, do you know the picture I had? We all had a picture. Don't take this the wrong way. Your picture's dumb. Don't take this the wrong way. The thing that you had before the picture got developed by the world is pure. The knowing that you should have a beautiful life is pure. But then the world came and told you what that was. That picture is dumb. This whole thing about your dreams, it's dumb. I'm so sorry. I'm not. The thing that torments you is what the world taught you about your dreams. Now listen, you do have a dream. It's just the world has come and tainted and corrupted what that dream is. The dream that you have is an incorruptible life. But all the other things that you've added in from the world to try to fill out what is an incorruptible life, it's done. It's worthless. You know what my, my picture for my life was? If I could be in the Olympics. If I could run and be in the Olympics. If I could win the gold medal. And if I could break these world records. Right about now, everybody's thinking about the things that they thought they could do. You see, the thing is, I thought if I could run and be in the Olympics and get a gold medal and I could break these world records, then I would have the life that was all together lovely and all together filled with goodness. And then I could be seen to have the beautiful life I'm supposed to have. And then I'll finally no longer hear all of the accusations telling me that I don't have the life I'm supposed to have. And then that will finally be the power to me, for me to be at rest. It will finally be the power for me to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit in peace and love and joy. Yeah, not. That picture nearly killed me. And in fact, it did kill me because when I couldn't bring the picture about anymore and I saw all was lost, I ended up dead on a hospital bed from a drug overdose trying to deal with the pain. You see, the picture I had was built upon perishable things. It was worthless. It was dumb. Like the wind. So Paul, I'm trying to bring world, our, our modern day terminology to this. When Paul says neither uncircumcision or, un, or circumcision availeth, the Jews would have had a picture of what a beautiful life is. And one of the things they would have had in that picture, circumcision. And this is not to despise the Jews. They had the carnal mind like everybody else. The Gentiles had a picture of what a beautiful life is. It's uncircumcision. The two shall be made one flesh, baby. (laughs) 
So y'all are included in all of this. <laughs> you should count yourself thankful that you didn't have to be circumcised. <laughs> or deal with the accusation of uncircumcision. <laughs> so Paul comes and says, the strength that can be seen in your flesh, the strength that can be seen in the life that consists of the riches and the glory of the world availeth not. The power into a beautiful life that is altogether lovely and filled with all goodness, that can fill you with peace and love and joy and can remove fear from your heart and that can shut the mouth of the accuser isn't found in the life that's in the world or what you see in your flesh. Stop looking there. That juice you need. It's okay you want the juice. You know you need the juice. You know you were created for the juice. And so you're busy trying the juice. The thing is, you're trying to suck juice out of the life you see in the world and the life you see in your flesh. And he's saying there's no juice there. That's what he's talking about when he gets into uncircumcision and uncircumcision. What Paul comes and says, in Christ Jesus, in this thing known as Christ Jesus, the thing that avails, the thing that is full of power or juice to justify you, the thing that has the force to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you, to persuade you and to serve you with the life that is altogether good and lovely, is a new creature. That's the thing that has the juice. Now, when Paul says in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything towards having life and experiencing life, but a new creature. When Paul says in Christ Jesus there, he's talking about the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. Christ Jesus is the faith. If you go back to Galatians 2, he says he lived his life in this world by the faith of the Son of God. And he said, with that faith of the Son of God, the faith that was manifested in Jesus when he was being crucified, what that faith did is it caused the power behind his life to no longer be himself in his own strength, but it was Christ who liveth in him. It was the very life of Christ that was manifesting in him now because he didn't look at the strength of his flesh. He didn't look at the life and the glory he could gain from the world to find the juice. But he began looking to the faith that was in the Son of God's heart when he was being crucified. And that's where he found the juice. And he said, it is Christ who liveth in me now. It's no longer I'm who living. My strength is no longer the power behind my life. It's the very life of the resurrected Jesus that is now the power behind my life. It's that faith he's talking about. He says in Galatians 2 that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, the strength of the flesh. When you think of works of the law, think strength of the flesh. Knowing that a man is not justified by the strength of the flesh, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So in Christ Jesus, the thing that avails, the thing that can fill us, juice us with the fruit of the Spirit and gift us a beautiful life, and persuade us that we have a beautiful life. And keep our hearts from the accusation that we don't have a beautiful life. It's the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul says the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ is about God himself producing life in you. It's about God himself gifting you a life. It's about God manifesting his life in you by him making a new man. By God himself building you a beautiful life. That's what it is that there's a new man. It's that God himself came and built you the beautiful life that you know you're supposed to have. And the way that he built you that beautiful life is that he made a new man. A man that had now been separated from death and was raised in the likeness of God's immortality, which is what a beautiful life is. And to every person who looks at what God made, the new man that God brought forth out of the dust of the ground, to every person that looks to the new man God brought forth by the faith, by his faith, the faith that is the Son of God, that was the Son of God, that manifested in the Son of God, the same spirit of faith that Paul said God created everything by, to every person who looks to God and what God brought forth, the new man he brought forth, separated from death, never to be able to die again, full with a beautiful life, never to be taken from again, to every person who looks on that faith that created this new man upon them the mercy and the peace of God God creates by the faith it's the spirit of faith that God created everything by and so when God wants to form Christ in you when he wants to form within you the very life of Christ the way he does it the strength that he has to do it is the faith 
The same faith that created Jesus in the likeness of God's immortality when he was nailed to a tree. It was the faith that was in his heart that raised him up out of the ground, clothed in glory and immortality, having been created in the image and likeness of God. That's the faith that Paul says avails. That's the faith that can juice you with a beautiful life. That's the faith that can persuade you your life is beautiful. That's the faith that can manifest the fruit of the Spirit in you. That's the faith that can guard your heart from the accusation of the evil one. Ephesians 2 said that we're God's workmanship. It says we're saved by grace through faith. The grace and the faith it's talking about there manifested in Jesus on the cross. We're God's workmanship. The cross was God making a new creature. A man separated from death, raised unto a life that can never die again. It was God declaring that new man to us and declaring to us the way we put on that new man is we believe on the faith that was in Jesus when he was on the cross. And that faith will form us and create us in the image of Christ Jesus is what Ephesians 2 says. We're God's workmanship. He's taken it upon himself to create us in the image of Christ Jesus. That's the new man. That's the new creature. And the way he creates us in the image of Christ Jesus is he comes and braids us together with this life and shows us that we're separated from the world. We're dead to the world and the world to me. When Paul says he's dead to the world and the world to him, what he's saying there is, I behold the perfect law of liberty. God himself has liberated my life from the earth. My life is no longer but dust. My life has no longer been fathered by the world. My life has been fathered by God himself. And so let the world come and shape my life. Let the world come and nail me to a tree. That accusation the world will bring to me that I don't have a beautiful life can never resonate in me ever again because I put on the new man who's created in the likeness of God's immortality. We miss these things that they're saying. We get so famous by grace through faith. You got to have balance, you see. I'm so sorry to make fun of that and let anybody know I'm not mocking you. I was the king and the chief of the people that said that. It ain't your faith that creates you in the image of Christ Jesus. It ain't your faith that created all things. It's God's faith. And he has showed you his faith in the man Jesus on the cross. The reason he showed you that faith, because that faith has the strength to create you in the image of Christ, to form within you the fruit of the Spirit, to justify you with a beautiful life, to keep your heart from the accusation that your life isn't beautiful. It will keep you from looking to what you see in your flesh or to what you see in the world around you to judge whether or not you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. I was running out of time. You guys forgive me. I had to like... I had to get like 30 minutes in like three. And so I knew what I was doing. And I know that, you know, you have to forgive me. I'm trying to get us out of here for lunch. You have to go back and listen. You can slow it down on YouTube. You can put it on 0.5. Thank God for YouTube. It helps me because I could speed people up double time, which is how I listen. But it helps others. They could slow me down to half time. <laughs> These things are in the scriptures, Ephesians 4, 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3, 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What knowledge are you renewed in? The faith of the son of God, the knowledge of the son of God. The knowledge that the life you're after, the beautiful life you desire, is in the Father, it's not in the world. And that life was put on display in the resurrected man, Jesus. And now you see the beautiful life that you are after. Oh, that's what I've been after this whole time. That's the beautiful life. Here it is as a gift. You're giving that to me as a gift? Yes. And what I give to you, no man snatches away from you. What I give to you, no death in this world snatches away from you. What I give to you, no corruption in this world snatches away from you. Right? In Christ Jesus, the thing that avails, the thing that can produce the fruit of God's life, the fruit of the Spirit in you, is for you to put on the new man. Let God tailor you in his life. Right? Stop trying to make bricks with no straw. 
Stop trying to suck life out of the strength of the flesh and the strength that's in the world. And set your eyes on the work God did to build you a life, right? And walk in that faith. Walk in that faith. That faith will show you you're dead to the world and alive to the king. That's what Jesus believed on the cross. My life is not held in this world. My life is not held in what is manifesting in my flesh right now. My, what's manifesting in my flesh does not avail. It is not the power to justify me with life. and It is not the power to keep me from life, right? That's, what the, that's the faith that was in Jesus' heart. Otherwise, he could have tried to make the strength of the flesh avail. He could have said, if I come down off the cross, then that will be the power unto me having a beautiful life. He would have been making the strength of the flesh still avail. Neither life or death, Paul says. We'll finish with this. Paul says, God forbid I should boast in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boast means God forbid I should say that anything can give me life other than the faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ when he was being nailed to the tree. God forbid I should boast in anything except for the wisdom and power that was revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul says, by whom the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. It's that faith that has taught me that my life has been liberated from the world and that it's hidden with God in Christ. Mm. So when Paul, Paul thought of a beautiful life too. He thought a beautiful life was if he could be the, the, the high priest, if he could be a Pharisee. That would be establishing the kingdom of God. That was the beautiful life to Paul. If he could have the best seats in the chief places, if he could have the best house, a house like that conference on a lake. How many of you think a beautiful life looks like living on the water? Just me? I guess that's why I'm preaching this message. <laughs> we don't understand these pictures, man. We want them to avail. Paul thought of, when Paul thought of what, he, the beautiful life to him was those things. And then he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was like, that's the beautiful life. And then he thought, what was it that availed? Where was the force for this guy to gain this beautiful life? Then he's backtracking to Jesus on the cross, where he didn't look strong according to the flesh. He didn't look noble according to the flesh. He didn't look wise according to the flesh. And so it wasn't the strength of the flesh that availed to give this guy the beautiful life. And then Paul said, all this guy did was say, Father, into your hands I commit my life. All this guy did was look to the strength in the Father's hand to create him after the image of immortality. Bingo! So he saw Jesus on the cross and it made foolish the wisdom of the world that says the strong, the noble, the wise according to what is seen in the flesh is what avails towards the end of having the life that is altogether good and lovely and just as right. He, that made foolish that wisdom. He was like, you can't give me that. And neither was this guy filled with all weakness. This guy who was filled with all weakness, he inherited it. So neither strong and noble and wise or neither uh, weak and not availeth anything but faith, he says. You know what that did? That graced Paul to give up the ghost. You don't give up the ghost on your own. A grace comes upon you and you give up the ghost. It filled Paul with the grace of God, the strength of God. It filled Paul with the strength to follow Jesus and take up his cross. That's why he said, I was crucified with Christ. You couldn't keep Paul from the cross. It wasn't like one of those things where you got to like pull him to get him to the cross. You know, like my little dog had to take her medicine last night. That dog did not want to take that medicine. And we tried to cover that medicine and everything we could to make that dog eat the medicine, and it would not. And then I'm in there trying to shove the food in the dog's mouth and trying to make the dog eat the medicine. That didn't work. You didn't have to pull Paul to the cross once he saw what avails. The moment he saw what avails, 
It graced him with the strength to grab onto the faith that was in Jesus when he was on the cross. And immediately Paul was intimate with the death Jesus died on the cross to the world and the world to him. And now he laid down the life that he had from the world. And now he was kept from the accusations that were in the world. He was justified with life. He laid down the life in the world so he could be intimate with the beautiful life that manifested in the resurrected Jesus. That's why he said, I counted it all as dung that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might see that same power in me, that I might find my heart justified with the beautiful life, that I might find my heart kept from the accusation in the world, that I might find the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in me, that I would know the height, the width, the depth of the love of God. I counted all that as dung because I saw it availeth not. Man, I hope that makes some sense. I ramble, I, I spoke real fast, but the Holy Spirit knows. Father, Father, we thank you that you made everything in the world for us to enjoy. And we enjoy the things in the world we have, Lord. But our heart's desire is that Christ be made full effect in us. Our heart's desire is that we experience the fruit of the Spirit as we walk in this world. Our heart's desire is that our hearts be kept from the accusation in this world. Father, that's what we desire. Our heart's desire to walk around in the newness of life, to walk around knowing we're clothed in the new creature. Our heart's desire is for the faith that was in Jesus, that is Jesus, your faith, the faith that created everything. Our heart's desire is for that faith to dwell in our hearts and create within our hearts the wisdom that is Christ, to animate our bodies with the power that is Christ's life. Father, into your hands we commit our desire for Christ to be made full effect in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you're faithful to form within us your life. Thank you, Father, that you're faithful to reproduce your love in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you for coming. I love you guys.